Hey, this is Chris. Hope you're doing well and welcome to Popcorn Finance, the show where we discuss finance and about the time it takes to make a bag of popcorn. And this is a question that's been on my mind lately, and that is how should we be thinking about risk? Because over the past few years, we've all seen a number of quote unquote investments pop up that are considered pretty risky. And they all promise this big reward, though, in exchange for that risk. And it's tempting. I mean, to all of us, to you, to me, who doesn't want to make a lot of money? But on the other hand, the idea of handing over our hard earned money, it's scary, right? That's a big thing to ask. But we often hear things said like there's no reward without risk or you have to take risk to make that real money. But should all this advice, these quotes, these things we hear online, should that be taken as the gospel or is it just another in the long line of quotes from those trying to trick us into giving up our money to buy something that we don't need? So Jill Schlesinger, host of the Jill on Money podcast, is back and I asked her some questions that were on my mind when it comes to risk. I think something that we all kind of had a, I guess, face the reality of, especially if you were you know, someone who likes a little more risk, is, uh, you know, what happened with stocks and crypto over the past, I don't know, what, a couple of years? It got wild. I also want to point out that I saw zero crypto Super Bowl ads uh, this year. <laughs> it was uh, very quiet on that front. Yeah. But, you know, I think it showed that investing, you know, it can be a wild game, especially if you're being very speculative and you're kind of gambling out there. You're taking a lot of risk. And I think, you know, there's some people who went broke and there's some people, a small, a smaller number of people who ended up making a lot of money. How do we embrace, you know, this flashy version of investing that's out there when we're being bombarded with people telling us we could be rich if we just made these couple of moves? But I think most people, especially experts like yourself, you you preach a very safe, boring version of investing. How do we reconcile those two things? You know what? I think it's OK to take some risk. I really do. I think the best way I can put this is that. It's fine to be lucky. Like, it's great. Like a friend of mine got fired from CBS as just like a huge headcount reduction. She just sold her stock because she got fired and was able to sell it. And she sold it like almost at the top of the market. That's lucky. If she got fired and the stock was trading at 22, she would have sold it at probably 22. So what I try to preach is that there is a common sense way of approaching having any risky investment. And it goes something like this. You should never have more than, let's say, 5 to 10% of your total invested asset base. Not your house, not your jewelry, not your car, your investments. You keep 5 to 10% in a risky stuff. And that's it. Once it goes above 10%, you got to peel it back. You have to sell it. You have to force yourself to sell it. So the theory is that if you keep your allocation, if you keep your risk level to five to 10%, even if it goes to zero, it won't blow up your financial plan. And you know what, Chris, is funny because I had a really interesting conversation amid the pandemic. The folks from Salesforce were doing, you know, like employee enrichment. And don't you know, Salesforce stock was exploding, right, on the upside. I got so many questions about like, well, I don't want to take the tax hit and I don't want to sell it. And I said, okay, but like, you know, it seems like the sky's the limit right now, but things can go down. And a few of them have contacted me Mm. over the last six months and said, oh, you know what? You were right. I didn't really think that was even possible, but things can go down. Even great stocks, even great companies that have had great rides on the upside can fall back to earth. So if you stick to that five to 10%, 
the way that you can really keep yourself out of trouble is even if you love new technology, even if you're the crypto king or queen of the universe, if you sell some along the way, then you can sort of say like, well, let's just see. It's like going to a casino and saying, I got a hundred bucks in my pocket. Let's see how far it goes. If I lose the hundred, I'm not putting another hundred in. I always find it really interesting how it feels like, you know, maybe just because of the internet. A lot of us have become, we're, we're very pessimistic about life, the world, but for some reason, when it comes to certain types of investments, people are like the, the biggest optimist the world has ever seen. And they think, you know, this $3 is going to be $12 million in a couple of weeks. And I I, I don't know, do you, how, how does that happen? Like the psychology behind what causes us to be so hopeful with such risky, you know, you know, on a whim investments. Well, you know, it's weird because you're right. To invest is to be an optimist in many ways. And there's a funny thing. I mean, look, I come from a very pessimistic father who was a trader also. And uh, he was a great short seller. And, you know, short sellers get such a bad rap in this world. Now, selling short just means betting against the fortunes of a company or of an index or of a commodity. And it's good for markets. It's great to have people who have different opinions, right? Because then you have someone who says, hey, I think Peloton has really gotten ahead of itself. I'm going to sell it short because I don't think there's more upside versus just piling money in over and over and over. And there, there has to be another side of the trade, right? And I think that our optimism would wisely be tempered if we could simply just say, the biggest impact to my financial life is unlikely to be my ability to choose an asset. The mm. biggest impact on my financial life is going to be my ability to save. The investment part, like the dirty secret of investing, is that if you just keep it simple and you just buy a, a diverse array of index funds, stock, bond, commodity, have some cash, you don't do anything dopey, then you're going to be fine. And you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Someone said to me, well, how do you explain someone like Warren Buffett? And it's hard to explain that except to say that he does great research and he and Charlie Munger have had a great track record. But to be clear, they're investing for infinity. You mm. and I are not. We are investing with a time horizon. We know that we need to accumulate money for our kids' education. We want to accumulate money to buy a house. We want to accumulate money to retire, to be in the place, to be able to, you know, maybe do something different. That's very different than saying I have all the time in the world to look at things and determine what the best investment is. And I don't have to worry about it. I really don't have to think about it. It's in perpetuity. That's a different kind of investing. Jill mentioned Warren Buffett at the end of our conversation there. And if you're not familiar with who he is, uh, he's a billionaire. He's a very, he's a very rich man. Uh, he's the CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, and he's known for being one of the most successful investors of all time. And Charlie Munger is considered his right hand man, and he's the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. She mentioned that they are investing for infinity, meaning that they can buy investments and just hold them as long as they need to. Even beyond their own lives, the company will just continue to hold these investments and wait for them to become profitable. And we can only operate within our own lifetime. And so this is why keeping things simple is the best path. And you don't need to put all this pressure on yourself to be this investing expert. You can just go and use something as simple as your 401k at work or your IRA, and then just invest in simple index funds. And if you don't know what an index fund is, go back and listen to episode 240 and 241. I'll put a link in the show notes. I do a pretty in-depth breakdown of index funds in those episodes. But if you still, after all of this, have the itch to try something riskier, which, hey, it, 
If you if you got the urge to do it, go for it. But follow Jill's advice and just limit it to five to 10 percent of your total investment. So if you're going to invest a thousand dollars this year, limit that you know risky stuff to a hundred dollars of that money because if things go bad your future isn't going to be derailed because you lost a hundred of that thousand dollars you still got nine hundred dollars working for you in the other safer stuff but the key is that you just keep investing jill said it best your ability to save is going to be your biggest factor for reaching your investment goals not how brilliant you are as an investor because we've all seen those people who claim to know everything and then they end up failing and losing a lot of money so keep it simple keep it safe for the most part and you're going to be on a good track. Big thanks again to Jill for coming back and joining me on the podcast. Please go check out her podcast, Jill on Money. One of my favorite podcasts. I think my favorite finance podcast. Uh, And then also go check out her book, The Great Money Reset. As always, I appreciate you joining me here for yet another bag of popcorn. I hope you have an amazing rest of your week and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, boy, keep it popping like Mary Poppins.